Welcome to the Kingsway Christian Fellowship Home Service. We hope that you'll be blessed as you listen to this audio sermon streamed live from Melbourne, Australia. Kingsway Christian Fellowship is a family Bible-based non-denominational church preaching Jesus Christ, based in Wonturner. Visit www.kingswaychristianfellowship.com. Now here is Elder Com Doyle. Received my sight, and now I am happy all the day. We'll now be going to Brother Com, who will be preaching the sermon today. Amen. Praise the Lord. Welcome to one and all this morning, and to all who are listening in, wherever you are, in the precious and wonderful name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And also, of course, extend uh, uh, greetings to all the fathers out there. And uh, you have a blessed day too also. And uh, I was touched there by, by some of those photographs and humorous sketches and uh, brings back great memories. And uh, just reminds me how we're aging day by day. And I speak for myself there, of course. So, so uh, let's just uh, come to the word this morning. Now, the last three times I spoke... Um, uh, this year, it's been on the topic of the Sermon of the Mount from the Gospel of Matthew. And I want to take uh, a break from that today and minister on 2 Timothy chapter 3, which concerns the topic of perilous times. So let's just commit the time to the Lord first. Now, Lord, we live in rapidly changing times and the world around us, Lord, is in turmoil. The church in many ways, Lord, is in turmoil. And we need you, Lord, more than ever. We need you, Lord, to be able to navigate through these days, Lord, and, um, you know, we need to draw closer to you, closer, Lord, um, with each other, Lord, to you, Lord, and, and to hear closer, Lord, to your word. And we ask, O oh, Lord, that you help us to understand your word, Lord, this morning, so that we are prepared and equipped for all the things that we're going to encounter. And we ask, Lord, that you please move by your Holy Spirit this morning, so that we are attentive to what you've written down in your word. Amen. So just for introduction, let's um, just uh, reflect on a few things. You know, you know we're living in, in definitely in times of great challenge and change. And, you know, I'd be surprised if anybody disagreed with me on that this morning. And we can sense that um, this change is accelerating at a rapid pace. You know, and even non-believers remark on the times and what is going on in this world. And, you know, perhaps you could think that, Two years ago, who would have believed that we'd be where we are now this morning? You know, if somebody told you this morning that you, you know, there's a possibility that you may not be able to, to go to certain places or, or uh, shop or whatever if you weren't um, vaccinated. Or perhaps if you were told that you'd be meeting remotely over a product called Zoom, you might have said, well, that sounds far-fetched, that's crazy. But we are here. You know, times are changing. You know, you think of the, the baby boomers, and I class myself, I'm, I'm in there at the tail end of the baby boomers. The baby boomers, they've enjoyed a, a period of relative st stability post-World War II. But the baby boomers are dying off, and the world, if we look at it and consider it, it's entering into a very, very different era. And to quote the words of Paul this morning, perilous or fierce times are coming, and uh, we need to be cognizant and aware of it and, and ready for it. You know, the world has experienced perilous times many times before. You know, there are perhaps people listening this morning who will have lived through the last world war. You know, there's been two world wars in the last century or so. And, you know, many, many terrible things have happened. Now, I can remember as a child being taught what to do in case of a nuclear attack. I remember at that time there was booklets sent around to all the households and they described things like how you could shelter and what you should do with food that's been radiated and, you know, all sorts of things like that. And um, you could think back to things like the Cuban Missile Crisis or even 20 years on, I think next week is the 20th anniversary of 9-11 and what happened that day, you know, a day that, that changed the world perhaps and set things in motion that we're seeing, you know, uh, fulfill right through these times. And, um, you know, they were all perilous times. And, you know, people perhaps stopped and thought, you know, where are we now and where are we going? 
what's going to happen? Is this the end of the world, possibly? Or lots of thoughts would have gone through people's mind, minds, believer and unbeliever alike. And now the world's moved on. And if anything, it's um, less stable, it's more unstable, and probably more fractured. And, you know, lots of things have changed even in the last 20 years. Technology has advanced at, at um, breathtaking pace. And, you know, the, the way of life we live it's changed immeasurably. And, you know, people talk about going back to normal. Things will never be the same. And, you know, the world is changing and things will never be the same again. And amidst all this prophecies being fulfilled, you know, we, we know we consider the nation of Israel back in 1947, 1948, how people dispersed for thousands of years, you know, came back to be in their land, how a language that wasn't spoken for thousands of years has been spoken now on, on a daily basis. And, um, and all these all these amazing things, you know, and many of the signs of the end times that Jesus spoke of, you know, in terms of natural disasters, you know, they're happening around us. And uh, again, to a greater and a greater extent each day and each week, you know, I don't know if anybody's been paid, paying attention to what's been going on as regards, you know, natural disasters over the last two or three months. Has anybody watched, I wonder, the... Um, you know, some of these clips like the two, pra two pastors and where they weekly give a weekly update on some of the things that are going on around the world. And, you know, you'd have to stop and take notice. I mean, I, I don't know how many times in the last few weeks I've watched clips of motor vehicles floating down main streets or, or vast swathes of land that are in flames or, you know, cyclones or tornadoes ripping and shredding things asunder. And, you know, the, the world is creaking and groaning and um, shaking around us. And, and uh, I think we'd be, be silly to deny it. It really is changing. You know, in the relative stability of the Western world, you know, for the greater part, it's gone. And we just look at what's happened you know, perhaps in the last couple of weeks and the withdrawal from Afghanistan and, um, you know, the, the instability that the world is feeling now and the concern and the fear in people as to what might actually happen next as a result of what's happened there. You know, morals have declined as man and governments, you know, and what were once Christian nations, they now have rejected God and they've departed from their Judeo-Christian foundations. And of course, new threats and problems, they're arising each day. You know, we hear about plagues. We could talk about militant Islam and the rise of militant Islam. Islam. We talk about the, the, the rise of the power of China you know, the possession of mass weapons and of destruction in the, in the wrong hands and so on. You know, you could, you know, look at somewhere like Iran and you know, people are, would fear that Iran might be only, you know, a couple of months away from possessing a nuclear weapon. And because there's such a, a um, how would you say, it? such a crazy uh, flavor of Islam, that uh, they'd be prepared to use that weapon on Israel or, or on others around them. You can look at North Korea, but it's it's just all around us. You know, it's not my intention to depress people this morning because, you know, the, it's um, it's something we just have to to reflect on, to take put into focus, and and to use it to gauge the times and where we actually are. You know, this teaching that the the church will conquer the world and that the kingdom will be established before Jesus returns. It's not what the scripture tells us. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's the reality is this morning that, you know, we should be aware that it's going to be a lot worse before it gets better. And um, that's what the scripture tells us. You know, in the declining stage of this world, it should remind us also as believers this morning that we're just passing through. You know, that we should not put our trust in this world. You know, that more than ever, we need to preach the gospel so that as, you know, as many as possible, can be saved out of, from, from the sin number one and out of what is coming ahead because what's coming ahead is not very pretty. And, um, you know, we have, to, we have to realize this. So, you know, how do we put this into context with res respect to what the scriptures are saying? And what did Paul mean when he spoke about perilous times? You know, more than ever, we need to, to pay attention to what's going on around us so that we correctly discern the times. And if you remember back in the, the Gospel of Matthew, we see Jesus, he castigated the, the religious leaders of the times because they couldn't discern the times they were in. 
you know, we don't want to fall for that or be, or be um, to be in the same position. We need to discern the times we're in. You know, I know this morning, perhaps you could pick a topic like the rapture and it'd be probably different flavors and different understandings this morning as regards the timing of the rapture. You know, you may or may not believe this morning, you know, that you will or will not live with the Antichrist is alive. You may or may not believe that the church will experience tribulation. But one thing I can tell you for certain is we're all going to see perilous times. And I know for certain, you know, from that same passage we're going to look at this morning in, in verse 12 of 2 Timothy chapter 3, that it says that all who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And we will all suffer persecution in some form in times to come, some form or another. So just for some context and background on to Timothy, you know, Paul wrote the second letter to Timothy during his final term of imprisonment in Rome, and it's shortly before the time of his death. And if you read through the book, you find he alludes to that. And he'd been abandoned by many of those who had walked with him. And he names people like, you know, Phygelus and Hermogenes, if you, if you read the book or read the, the early part of to Timothy. And uh, he talks about you know, all that her in Asia had forsaken him. You know, and he has a real concern for Timothy because he's been given a preview of these perilous times that lay ahead. And he wants to guide and prepare Timothy. You know, and it's believed that the letter itself, just get for information, was written about 64 to 65 AD. Now, we know Jesus died at the age of 33. So we're looking at 30 to 31 years after the time when Jesus walked in this earth. So it's, that gives you a picture of the time we're talking about. Now, Paul encourages Timothy to continue in the gospel despite the sufferings that accompanies the call. And um, you know, I want to say the same to all of us this morning, that these words that Paul is speaking to Timothy, we should take them on board as if he's speaking to us also this morning. Now, he advises Timothy on many things. And I picked just a few things out of the second book of Timothy, which uh, we should take note of this morning. And it's not exhaustive. There's more than these, but we can take on board his, this advice you know, for today's world. And because of the context I set and because of what's happening around us, you know, Paul spoke to Timothy as a young man. And this can be for all of the youth this morning, because I'm not, I'm not sure exactly what age Timothy was, you know, reading through the scriptures, it appears that perhaps he was a, a gentle soul and maybe, maybe he was a little bit naive of what was going on around him. And Paul understood a bit more because of some of his personal experiences. But this can be for all of you this morning in the church, you know, advice, because you'll live longer perhaps than I will. And you may see even a lot more than what I'm going to, 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 to look at this morning. But Paul says things like this. He says, hold fast a form of sound words, which thou hast heard of me in faith and love in Christ Jesus. And he says that in chapter 1, verse 13. So you know, be faithful to God's truth you know, and, and stick to sound teaching. And you know, more than ever, you know, encourage us all this morning, you know, don't deviate, don't, don't go with the latest flavor. Stick with the basics, stick with what's written in the, God, the word of God. He says in chapter 2, verse 1, to be strong in the grace of Christ. You know, continue on in that unmerited favor that um, is the reason for your salvation. You know, for by grace we are saved through faith and not of ourselves. It's the gift of God, lest any man should boast. So this grace, you know, we're still in the age of grace. This grace is still with us. And, um, you know, amazing grace. Don't lose sight of amazing grace. He says in chapter 2, verse 3, to endure hardness as a good soldier of Christ. You know, what does a soldier not do? A soldier does not want to be caught asleep on duty and does not want to abandon his post because that's cowardice, that, that's a, a shameful thing to do for a soldier. And, you know, as, as Christians, as, as soldiers of Christ, we're not to abandon our post and we're not to turn around and flee. We're not to, to be cowards, as it were, spiritual cowards. Paul says in chapter 2, verse 9, that he was bound, that he was bound in chains. You know, we can be bound. You know, they can lock us down today. They can lock us up. In the future, but he says that the word of God is not bound. And take that as encouragement this morning that they can lock you up physically, but they can't lock up what's inside you, they can't lock up the word of God. He says in verse 2, verse 15 to Timothy, Show thyself approved unto God, 
study to show thyself approved unto God, I should say, a workman that needed not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. In 2 verse 15, sound doctrine is important. Doctrine is not something dry. You know, we don't spend all of our time focusing totally on doctrine, but nonetheless, it's still extremely important. And doctrine, you know, your doctrine must be correct. It says to flee youthful lusts in 2 verse 22. Take this seriously. Again, speaking to younger people this morning, take this seriously. If I had known what I know now, if I'd been saved at the time, you know, when I was the age perhaps of, that the youth are this morning listening, I wouldn't have done half the things that I've done. I wouldn't have been involved in some of the things, you know, that are shameful that I was involved in. So flee youthful lusts. You can be forgiven for your sins, but the memory of some of the things you've done is going to be with you all your life. So don't do things that you're going to regret in the future. He talks in chapter 2, verse 24 to 26, about the character to be expected of the servant of the Lord. You know, not to be quarrelsome, not to be um, striving and, and um, fighting, and, and you know, but to be gentle, to be a gentle and, and to display God's character and gentleness in you as a saved soul. He talks about the coming of perilous times, of course, which we'll look at a bit closer shortly. He talks in chapter 3, verse 12, that the, about the godly suffering persecution. He talks in 16 and 17 about the authority of Scripture. And further on in chapter 4, he talks about the need to preach the word. And as I said, that's not exhaustive, but you know, there's some pretty important and key points in there. You know, that we should lay hold of today. And we should bear in mind when looking at the perilous times that are coming upon us, you know, that many may desert us also as they did Paul. You know, not everybody around us necessarily is our friends, our friends you know, outside of the church. Even brothers and sisters can, can desert us, and that's, that's the reality. You know, after all, consider what Jesus said, and this is the time when he called and commissioned the 12 disciples. You know, Matthew Chapter 10, verse 21 to 22, we can read there what he says. You know, a brother shall deliver up the brother to death, and the father the child, and the children shall rise up against the parents. And we're talking this morning about children being obedient to parents. Here we're talking about a time where children shall rise up against the parents and cause them to be put to death. Just stop and think about that. I mean, what a thought is that, that, that children could actually see their parents put to death. And that ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but he that endureth to the end shall be saved. So Paul is talking about what Timothy could expect to experience. You know, we could expect the same. Things could get that bad before the return of the Lord. Question we could ask again, it's just part, part of, of setting the context and, the, and the, the background. What are actually the last days? You know, reference to the last days it's generally taken to mean the period between the birth of the church and the second coming of Jesus. You know, the last days, the church age and the age of grace, they're all basically synonymous. Now, the Bible, of course, has a lot to say about the last days, you know, particularly in passages like Matthew 24, the Olivet Discourse, or in parallel passages in Matthew 13 and Luke 21. You know, we might think that because we don't see it in the Gospel of John that it's missing, but John, of course, wrote, the whole book of Revelation, you know, most of which is detailed concerning the future and what the future is going to be like. You know, so this is very, very much for us today also. You know, and we have to understand when we look at this that there will be perilous times, but there are also that there have been and always were perilous times. The Old Testament prophets, for example, they experienced them because most of them were murdered. The church has always and is still experiencing perilous times. Many Christians today are experiencing what we call, could, could call great tribulation. You can consider this morning what it must be like for a Christian in Afghanistan. You know, perhaps they're going door to door looking for Christians. Perhaps they have a list of names. You know, people have perhaps have to uh, go underground or, or um, disappear. That's tribulation. But a time is coming when a tribulation will be worldwide. You know, there are many foreshadows. But if we look in Revelation, you know, where it talks there about the 21 in total of the seal, trumpet, and vile judgments that are described there, they haven't come yet, but there are foreshadows that they will come. So the point to be taken is that 
the perilous times, these things, they're going to greatly increase before the end. And it's just as that image that is given in scripture of the woman in labor and how it conveys, you know, when we're pic you know, picturing the, the contractions and the ever-increasing period of the contractions before birth. So the times will come and they will become really, really perilous before Jesus returns to the earth. And again, we can look at what Jesus says in, in Matthew 24, in verse 7 to 13, as part of that Olivet Discourse. And he says there, For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences, and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted, and shall kill you. And you should be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another, and many false prophets shall rise, and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. Now you could argue that we're in the period of sorrows described in the first part of that passage. But I think we're rapidly advancing into the remainder. You know, there's, there's a disturbing side to the last days because evil, it has its set course to run. But it's also an exciting time because we know that the return of Jesus is drawing near. And we look up because our redemption draws nigh. You know, there's a saying, and my father used to say to me that it's always darkest before the dawn. We're talking about perhaps difficult times. And I think Isaiah 63, verse 1 to 3, is a wonderful passage that displays this. And we can read that where it says, Arise, shine, for thy light has come. And the glory of the Lord has risen upon thee. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth and gross darkness the people. You know, it's just up and reflecting that. He's talking about gross darkness and you could equate that with the, with the uh, perilous times. But the Lord shall arise upon thee and his glory shall be seen upon thee. And the Gentiles shall come to thy light and the kings to the brightness of thy rising. Praise the Lord. So now just to, um, to go a little bit further, you know, what are the characteristics and what marks these perilous times? So let, let, let's now just go look at the, the passage which we want to concentrate on this morning, which is the first part of 2 Timothy chapter 3, and starting in verse 1. It says there, This know also, that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, treasures, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. And if you look at the, the beginning there, this now also, you know, Paul definitely wants to get our attention. And it, it's saying that what follows needs to be taken note of. It's of utmost importance. You know, the translation of the original text, it may be read as at the end of the last days. So when, when, when um, Paul wrote it and, and could visualize and, and had a vision of these times, he may not have known exactly when it, when it was going to happen. You know, I think they, all of those at that time believed they could live, be living in a time when they would see the return of Jesus. Perhaps they're not aware that another 2,000 Years would elapse, you know, to the time we're in now. And you know that in the lead up, I spoke about bad times, bad situations in, in different parts of the world, etc. But when we look at this passage here, we see that we focus closer on people and their wickedness and their, their depravity. So it, it goes down to a personal level. These are the kind of people that will dominate in the last days. You know, what we see, it's, it's a degeneration in human character. You know, the blame is not laid at any kingdom or ideology or religion or group. And there are many that we could pick out this morning, but it goes down to the individual. We're talking about individuals. So the corruption that originally started, you know, with the fall back in the, in the Garden of Eden, you know, it's working through to conclusion. This corruption is everywhere because of sin. And ultimately, it can only be dealt with by the destruction of the earth and the creation of a new heavens and earth. I mean, we read about it in 2 Peter. 
So the point to take there is that it cannot be repaired and it cannot be cleaned up. So it's it's this whole world is set for for destruction eventually. You know, we, we talk or we, we read about the times when the elements are going to dissolve and burn up. So perilous, it means great trouble, great stress, and great danger. And the increase in the selfishness of man, which comes out in that passage, you know, this is the root of the problem. You know, when you count up, if you count up those traits in that passage, you'll get the number of 18, 18 traits of moral depravity that are listed. And I could ask the question, how many of those are conspicuous in the age in which we live? You know, as I said to myself, these are not new, but we should ask ourselves, are they on the increase? Are they becoming more pronounced as we get nearer the end? You know, for the older people listening this morning, I'll ask the question, have they increased in your life? You know, people often talk about a time when you, you or your children, for example, you know, you could go outside or a woman could walk anywhere late at night, or perhaps you could leave your, your, your valuables in the front seat of your car or leave the key out of your front door. But I, I would um, you know, hazard to say that you couldn't do that anymore because it's just not the way it used to be. You know, an honest assessment would say that times are less innocent. You know, that children are forced into an adult world earlier and don't experience the childhood that they, they should experience. And as a whole, the world, the world is becoming a darker place. You know, that's, that's reality. That, that's where we find ourselves. And we have to understand that. So let's take a closer look then at these, these characteristics of these moral traits which are spoken of. You know, it says there that men shall be lovers of their own selves. You know, we're not bombarded every day with advertising that tells us, you know, we should pamper ourselves in some way and that loving ourselves is good and healthy. You know, I found a little, little poem, and I haven't heard this for years, actually, and um, not quite sure what the intention of the poem was, but I just use it to illustrate the overemphasis of self. And what this little poem says, it says, I had a little tea party this afternoon at three. It was very small, three guests and all, just I, myself and me. Myself ate up the sandwiches while I drank up the tea. It was I who ate the pie and passed the cake to me. So you might find that a little bit humorous, but that is actually the time we're living in. It's a time of I, me and myself. It's like, what is my hobby? My hobby is myself, some people would say. You know, I'm not aware of anywhere in scripture where we're told to love ourselves. Yet that's the message. And unfortunately, that message comes through in many churches and many church preaching. You know, psychology and psychology, you know, I used to think a bit about psychology and, and you know, you'll find that here in the business world or in, in the corporate world, you get a lot of psychology thrown at you. You'll attend a lot of courses where psychology is taught. But psychology in the form of motivational speaking and um, such like, that entered into the modern church. And you can think of, you know, people like Norman Vincent Peale and, you know, the power of positive thinking or people like Robert Schuller, who, who's dead now, both are dead actually. And uh, what they brought into the church is not biblical preaching, but it's actually re replaced biblical preaching. So, you know, you, um, we should not call out sin, for example, or, you know, we should do everything but offend people, or we can have a great life now, etc. or we should be seeker sensitive. You know, the Bible teaches actually the opposite. It teaches to put the death to death the self, you know, to to put you know, to kill the old man, to pick up our cross and to follow Jesus. You know, when we become self-centered, the notion of sacrifice or putting others before you know before ourselves, it takes second place. You know, once we make ourselves and our will central, you know, our relationship with God and with others, it suffers. You know. Thou shalt shall love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and all thy soul and all thy mind and all thy strength. This is the first commandment. So, I mean, I, they, they conflict with each other. The second one, it says, men shall be covetous or lovers of money. And the 10th commandment says, thou shalt not covet. You know, 1 Timothy 6, verse 10, we read there, we, we know these scriptures well, for the love of money is the root of evil. Or in Matthew, Matthew 19, verse 24, we see there, and again, I say unto you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. 
So we have to be really careful and honest with ourselves. You know, do money and material things motivate, control or distract us from God? You know, we look at the Bible, Abraham and King David, they were very wealthy and very powerful men. But we don't read of it being a snare. Then we have a look at King Solomon and we see what actually entrapped him in the end. And we read a very different story. Now, we should take the story of the rich young man and the encounter with Jesus in Mark chapter 10. We should look at those words and take them very, very seriously. Here was a man, you know, who, who seemed to have it all right on the outside. He came across as sensible, but ultimately he was consumed with himself. And it's with selfishness that actually hindered him. And he went away, you know, from the words of Jesus Christ, very, very disappointed. And, uh, you know, what's more, Jesus didn't try to bring him back. He let him go. Men shall be boasters, proud, and blasphemers. Men will be self-promoting, boasting about themselves and their achievements. Men will think higher of themselves than they should. And they'll also look down on others. These, of course, have always been in the world. But how prevalent now and how blatant is open blasphemy? You know, this attitude that I don't fear taking the Lord's name in vain or scoffing at God, which is a direct contradiction and and um, contravention of the third commandment. We spoke this morning, and uh, Sab spoke about, about uh, honoring parents. You know, men shall be disobedient to parents, appears in, in this passage. You know, we know that this really sort of took off in the 1960s. You know, that there never used to be a generation gap. And this is in contravention of the fifth commandment, that we honor our father and mother, that our days may be long. You know, instead of honoring the elderly, elderly we're in a generation that promotes euthanasia and the killing of the frail and the defenseless. You know, the words of Jacob Prash come to mind. I remember one of, one of his um, teachings. He said that this generation of the baby boomers who ushered in the sexual revolution, abortion and such like, they're the generation who will experience euthanasia by the hands of the next generation. And this is almost like a, um, a judgment in itself pretty um, sobering thought. It says that men shall be unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers. You know, you know as, a, as a general manager, I experience people in the workplace being ungrateful. I experience people being ungrateful even after being paid a bonus or ungrateful because they said that you weren't doing enough for them. You know, men, they won't thank God for the many blessings they receive, even the common daily blessings of, of fresh air and um, rain and sun and, and um, just the seasons, all the things that we all experience, sinner and saved alike. Men won't thank God for that. You know, they, um, instead they complain about everything. You know, men will make the holy things profane. profane. You know, if you look at the standard of, of um, what's, what's so-called comedy nowadays, you know, generally it's unsophisticated, it's not clever, it's full of foul language and it's anti-God. So there's a decline in responsibility and obligation and sacrifice you know, for the family and for love within the family unit. Now, we, we, today now we're looking at, at Father's Day. You know, I, I think back about my, my, my father. My father had a very difficult life and grew up in very difficult times. And uh, unfortunately, before he died, and you know, I can remember visiting him in the hospital, I wasn't saved. I couldn't share the gospel. I didn't have the good news to share with him. But I know that when we were younger, when, when my mother died, when, and I, I was about uh, five years old, and there was a family of us ranging from 15 years of age down to two, you know, he was advised at the time you know, that it might be better to put us into care and whatever. But he didn't do that. And I know that he, he worked hard and worked himself into probably ill health and did everything he possibly could to see that we were educated and provided for. You know, that type of sacrifice for family is actually under decline, you know, because of selfishness. And, uh, you know, the father and the, you know, the biblical unit of father and mother and children, it's been corrupted now with same-sex unions and other what is blatant sin. And it, it, it doesn't matter what the government says and what they say about, you know, you're being hateful or hate crimes or whatever, it, this is wrong and we must call it out as wrong. You know, and, uh, you know, we think of... Um, of uh, 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 the, the just lost my his name doesn't come to mind now. The rugby player, Falau, you know what happened to him for speaking out truth. But we, you know, 
truth should be spoken out. You know, we see that instead of leaving an inheritance for our children's children, as the scripture tells us, we're encouraged to spend it on ourselves, spend the children's inheritance. Now, instead of a man's word being his bond, he will casually and without shame break his promises and commitments to others. And it's on the increase. It says that men shall be false accusers. So how easily the characters of others are taken by careless words and lies. You look at the behavior of politicians and the media. Blatant lies are told with no shame. You know, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. It's, it's a contravention of the ninth commandment. It says that men shall be incontinent. I know we've got a different understanding of what that might mean nowadays, but here it means to be without self-control. You know, so whether it's gluttony or the abuse of drugs and alcohol or loose morals, again, it's all around us. How often have you heard somebody put the defense up, you know, I couldn't help myself or I couldn't resist? You know, if you can't govern your own passions and desires, what sort of a person are you really? It says that men shall be fierce or brutal. You know, cruelty and brutality, you know, they, they've always been here, but now they're glorified in the media. There's an obsession with violent media and games, and it works its way out in everyday behavior. Women are now showing up more and more in violent behavior and crime. Men are governed by their base nature. You know, in the news this week, perhaps people remember, I think it was a, a, a man, a man was stabbed for a McDonald's meal. And I think the perpetrator was 16 years of age. So, if, you know, if we're really evolved animals and we're pushing the, the whole idea of um, Darwinism and the educational system and, and everything, you know, all the, all the, the systems are promoting it and saying it's science and it's true, why should we not behave like animals? You know, why, why, why should it not be a dog-eat-dog -dog world or survival of the fittest? It says that men shall be despisers of those things that are good. So evil is good and good is evil. You know, your anti-woman's choice if you oppose abortion. You know, if you oppose critical race theory or gender ideology, you know, if you pull, you're, 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 you're on the wrong side. If you oppose the sanctity of life, because you oppose euthanasia, you're definitely in the minority. And then the last group, it says that men shall be traitors, heady or headstrong, we could say nowadays, high-minded or haughty, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. You know, all of these are about self. Traitors will betray the confidence of others and they'll show no loyalty. Headstrong individuals, they'll do rash things and not consider the consequences. The high-minded are puffed up and full of their own self-importance. They don't need God or anyone else. Those who love pleasure, you know, you know, they prefer to pursue worldly pleasures than to pursue God. And if you, if you look at that whole passage, just stand back and look at it. It says in verse 2, it starts with self and the things we love, and it ends with self-pleasure. And interspersed in between, there's a whole litany of things that relate back to pride and arrogance. You know, so, you know, we put the God of self-pleasure before the love of the true God, and we're breaking the first commandment. I am the Lord thy God, and thou shalt have no other gods before me. We can stop now and ask the next question. Who actually is Paul talking about? You know, as I went through these traits of moral depravity, who did you think I was talking about? Did you think it was the unsaved out there in the, in the world? The sobering truth is that Paul is talking about a time when the world is so corrupt that it actually infiltrates the church. And the reason you know, I can say this is that because in verse five, it says, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. So this could even apply to us this morning. You know, in the church, we know there'll be wheat and tares. Jesus describes this in the parable in Matthew chapter 13 and verse 24 to 30. You know, the tares will coexist with the wheat and will not be separated until harvest time. You know, the fact is, you know, that in these perilous times, in the times ahead, many in the church are not and will not be set free from selfishness. There's too much self-love. And we have to be honest with ourselves this morning. I have to be honest with myself and I have to, to ask these questions too. And it just, I just put a couple of questions down and you can use them yourself this morning as, as checkpoints. You know, you know, am I putting my relationship with God first by sacrificing other interests and spending time with them. 
And uh, you know, how often do all of us, you know, put everything or all sorts of things that we do first before we actually dedicate time to the Lord? And it should be the other way around. You know, and am I, do, am I doing anything today that's costing me for the Lord? You know, it could be a whole lot of things. It could be supporting the persecuted church. It could be helping a brother. It could be doing all sorts of different, whatever the Lord puts on your heart. You know, before I treat myself to something, am I asking, you know, is this the Lord's will for me? You know, if I'm blessed materially, do I really hold it in an open hand? You know, if the material blessings I have, if they're taking away from me, you know, the time may come. If you look at things like Agenda 2030 and some of the, the plans of man, you know, it may, it may not be um, possible anymore to, to have private property or to hold things. It may be taken off you. You may be living on handouts from the state. But you know, if that happened, am I happy to actually say, well, bless the Lord, I give it back? You know, you have to ask yourself these questions. You know, it's a sad thing to see preachers using the gospel and twisting the scriptures to make money. And um, you know, that's a sign of, a, of, a, of the times that that could happen. Or exploiting selfishness, you know, in others that, you know, that can be stirred up so much so easily in believers. You know, on a positive note, was Jesus not correct when he said that it's more blessed to give than to receive? You know, it's not a joyous thing. You know, who, no, no, I mean, don't you feel a, a sense of joy when you, when you bless somebody? either, you know, anonymously or otherwise. And, um, you know, that becomes a testimony. And, you know, and you, the Lord has used you to, you know, to see his will uh, executed in someone else's life. You know, I think the selfishness, you know, it's ultimately it's going to make you unfulfilled, frustrated, unhappy. And, uh, you know, being selfless is a far better way to live. You know, that last uh, verse in that passage of, uh, in, that we read, the first passage, verse 5, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. You know, it's an interesting verse. Paul warns us that in the last days, there will be Christians in name only. You know, these are the terrors we spoke about earlier, of earlier. We will practice uh, a religious life, but they will not believe in, in God's power. You know, they claim to be born again, but, you know, but they're not. They want a security of a relationship with God. They don't want to obey God. You know, and they're idolatrous in the sense that they wanted God to fit their own requirements. You know, the church is going to be full of many religious people, but at the same time, lost people. And uh, we have to be prepared for that. You could ask yourself, what's the, what's the outworking of all false religion? And the answer is given in, in, or one of the answers is given in verse six of the passage. For it says there, for of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with diverse lusts, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. So the, the outworking of, of this false religion and the religious deceivers is that others who are weak, they're going to be deceived and led astray. Homes will be infiltrated and broken as a result. You know, how many cults have arisen because of seductive leaders with a seductive message. We also see there about the forces of darkness at work. In chapter eight of the passage, it says there now as Janes and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith, but they shall pre proceed no further, for their folly shall be manifest unto all men as theirs also was. Now, the mention of Janes and Jambres, those you know, Egyptian magicians who resisted Moses, it shows me that the power of darkness is going to be at work through deceivers in the church, effectively. We're not to be surprised if witches are present among us in the church. I mean, I heard it said before that we go to the church to P-R-A-Y, to pray. Satan is amongst us in the church through deceivers and others to P-R-E-Y, to pray on the saints. And we shouldn't be surprised that we see the occult, you know, witches and, and uh, occultic behavior manifest in the church. You know, this is where, in, you know, I guess as a Pentecostal church, we should be, you know, prepared to, um, to see God's power at work. And just as Janes and Jambres, you know, they were effectively humiliated because their serpent was consumed by the serpent that uh, Moses' 
uh, staff became, you know, we want to see the power of God at work. We want to see the powers of darkness overcome when they manifest in the church. And, you know, as a sign and as a, you know, as a sign to the unbeliever and the deceiver that, you know, we serve the true God and not the false God. And perhaps they may be convicted and saved as a result. So what sort of conclusion then can we actually bring to all of this? Well, one thing is to be forewarned is to be forearmed. When Paul said at the opening of that passage, this now also, we need to pay attention. And um, I, I take from the passage from having read it, we need to be very, very careful that our love is not misdirected. In Matthew 22, verse 37 to 39, we see Jesus. And it reads there, Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You should love your neighbor as yourself. You know, we're definitely not told to love ourselves. And if anything, we come a distant third there. God first and your neighbor second. What else can we learn? We need spiritual discernment. There are certain people whom we need to disengage from. And, um, you know, that's something, again, we need to be prepared, prepared to, to see in days coming that uh, there's going to be people sent into the church by Satan to destroy the church, to bring division and dissension. And we need discernment to know who they are, to, to deal with them, to separate from them. You know, when we read the remainder of 2 Timothy, that chapter, we see that Christians will definitely suffer persecution, that evil men and deceivers will increase. But in it all, we see also, and further on into chapter four, actually, that the word of God is our effective weapon. And, um, you know, we need to hold on to this, onto this word and stand by it, meditate on it, learn it, and, and, and operate from it more and more and more. I just thought perhaps to, to um, a couple of things just to conclude this morning perhaps just to set up these these traits alongside each other and to to do them in opposites just so it, it, it just uh, lodges in our mind this morning when it talks about lovers of self we need to love god and our neighbor when it talks about being covetous and lovers of money we need to hold things loosely and be prepared to leave leave it all behind and we're going to leave it all behind anyway <clears throat> You know, I think I've said it before, and it stuck in my mind. It reminds me of that, uh, of that uh, description of the, uh, the reading of the last will and testament at, at a, uh, after a funeral. And they're all sitting there anxiously waiting to hear the uh, solicitor read the will. And you know, somebody couldn't contain themselves, perhaps somebody selfish. They said, what did he leave? What did he leave? And the answer was everything. And basically... We're going to have to leave everything behind. So we should bear that in mind, you know, that we don't get entrapped by material things, by things of the world, because A, we're leaving them behind, and B, they're going to be consumed anyway. Boasters. Well, if we're going to boast, let's boast in the Lord and boast in what he's done in our lives. Blasphemers, blaspheming. Yeah. If somebody blasphemes, well, a good response is to praise the name of Jesus. Don't use the name of Jesus to swear this morning and, and um, don't get caught up in that behavior. And it's very common all around us. So beware of that. Instead of being proud, be humble. Because remember, God resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. Disobedient to parents will honor your father and your mother. They may not be perfect. They may be wrong a lot of the time. They probably are. But we're still, we have to hold them in respect and, and in regard. If you're unthankful this morning, we'll count your blessings because there are many, many, many around you. And uh, there are many, many who are worse off than you are. So, so count your blessings. To the unholy, separate yourselves from all that is a holy. You know, and um, I think in, in that, in Timothy also says somewhere in the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the book, you know, to all those who the name the Lord of Jesus depart from evil. So depart from evil. Natural affection or lack of natural affection. By this you know the believers. They will love the brethren. So love one another this morning. Love your brothers and sisters in the Lord. The truce breakers, keep your word. Your word is your bond. 
the false accusers. Let's not be partakers in gossip this morning or in idle gossip, particularly in anything that's pulling down another saint or another individual. To be incontinent, and again, I don't mean that in the term that's used nowadays, but be, to be able to exercise restraint and control. And um, you know, God's given us the ability. We can all resist temptation. It's within us the ability to do it. And we can all control ourselves if we want to. It's a lame excuse to say otherwise. Brutality. I would say this morning, the opposite to that be, and the response for us would be to take care what you allow your eyes to see, because it does affect you. Despisers of good. Speak out this morning about evil. Be like Israel Falau, perhaps. You know, be not ashamed to, to point out things when they're wrong. It might bring ridicule, but it'll also show that you're actually a servant of the Lord and belong to the Lord, and it may even bring conviction on people. Treasures. Be loyal to Jesus and be loyal to your neighbor. Headstrong. Well, this morning, think before you act. You know, there's a possibility you might be wrong. Haughtiness. We're not that important after all. And to consider the weak. And this morning, for the lovers of pleasure, I just put the words here, transience versus permanence. Focus on the things this morning that are actually going to be permanent and put your attention on the things that have eternal value and less on the pleasures because... Um, the pleasures, they don't give us ultimate satisfaction. They entrap us, and ultimately, they're going to go anyway. And I just wanted to close this morning. I like Spurgeon. Here's what Spurgeon says, and it's on the topic of separation from the sort of people who don't actually, um, don't change and uh, who are intent on being the type of people we spoke about uh, this morning that were, you know, that are of the aching traits and want to stay that way. But he, Spurgeon says... Complicity with error will take from the best of men the power to enter any successful protest against it. It's our solemn conviction that where, where there can be no real spiritual communion, there should be no pretense of fellowship. Fellowship with known and vital error is participation in sin. As soon as I saw or thought I saw that error had become firmly established, I did not deliberate but quitted the body at once. Since then, my counsel has been come out from among them. I felt that no protest could be equal to that of distinct separation from known evil, that I might not stultify my testimony. I've cut myself clear of those who err from the faith and even from those who associate with them. Cost what it may to separate ourselves from those who separate themselves from the truth of God is not alone our liberty, but it's our duty. Lord bless you one and all this morning. Amen.